five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. My guest today is Professor Sarah Gallagher, Canada's new science advisor to the president of the Canadian Space Agency. In this interview, Sarah provides me more detail on her new position, as well as sharing her thoughts on Canada's space program. She'll also react to the news that a Japanese private citizen has purchased all the seats on a SpaceX spacecraft to go to the moon and back. Welcome, Sarah, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So my first question has to be, what motivated you to apply to become the science advisor to the president of the Canadian Space Agency? Well, I have been a, um, a practicing research astronomer for um, almost for 20 years now, um, and I've been a professor at the University of Western Ontario for the past 10 years. And over the past couple of years, I've gotten involved uh, through the Canadian Astronomical Society and also through some coalitions um, to build next generation telescopes working in more strategic planning on the national level within Canada. And it's work that I have really, really enjoyed. I love the idea of planning and next generation facilities and being incredibly ambitious with our science and trying to figure out how to realize those ambitions. So when I saw the ad for, the, um, for, the, for this position, I thought, I really want that job. I would love to have a role where I can um, can can basically actually get paid to do the sort of visioning that um, I've been doing on a volunteer basis uh, for the past few years. And when did you find out you'd been you'd been selected, and and what was your reaction? Uh, so I found out the um, I found out the end of July, and I was absolutely thrilled. So um, so uh, Sylvain Laporte gave me a call and let me know that I. Did, I was offered the job and, and he wanted to get right down into um, talking about um, his vision for what the position would be like and making plans. And um, there, there are a lot of things that uh, the person in this position, um, that it, it fits in nicely with things that are happening at the agency and also on the, with the federal government. So, um, I mean, they're ready for me to get started as soon as possible. And I'm, I'm going to say that it's safe to say that you already knew Sylvain before. Uh, I had met him before, but I have not known him for a, for a long time. So I was part of a group of astronomers uh, representing um, astronomers who visited TSA in June, and that was the first time that I had met him. Ah, okay. Um, and then I interviewed with him, obviously. Okay. So you're a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Western University with responsibilities there. Have you been told how much of your time you will be spent on your duties as a science advisor? Uh, yeah, well, I signed a contract, so uh, yes, it's for fifty percent of my time. Well, fifty percent of your time. Okay, wow, that's uh, more than I thought it would be. So, what's expected of you in in your new role? Um, so, the new role is I'll have sort of a a dual role. So, one is as um, an advisor to the space agency, to the president of the space agency. And the other is as a role as part of the group of science advisors that will be um, working with Mona Neymar um, to develop um, 
plans and um, strategies for um, integrating science into policy and also for um, advising on policy about doing science. And so it has uh, that dual role. I think it's recognized by the federal government that uh, that space is really important, especially, I mean, we have a, an enormous country and, um, and just, uh, just keeping track of it, um, I mean, you really need space. It's really, um, I mean, Canada absolutely should be a space-faring nation uh, for that reason alone. Um, so, and, and that's absolutely recognized. And there's a lot of areas where, um, where space can have a, a major positive impact um, in, in just you know, making things better. So there, there are those two aspects to the job. One is um, interacting with uh, the people at the space agency and advising them um, on how to take advantage of the best science and also enable the best science. And then also it, as someone who is serving um, the federal government on the level of the of the chief science advisor. Now, have you started the position yet? No, I start on October 1st. You start on October the 1st. And it's, if I remember correctly, it's a two-year position that can be extended. Is that correct? That's right. All right. So how often do you expect to liaise with the government's chief science advisor, uh, Dr. Mona Neymar, like you uh, you had previously mentioned? I, I don't know. So um, that is something that still needs to be worked out. Um, I've also, I mean, her, the plan is to have a science advisor uh, to all of the departments um, that's communicating with her. And since I'm the first person who's, um, who's been appointed in that particular role, um, I, I'm not sure what the timescale is for getting everybody else in place. So does this mean you'll be doing a lot of traveling between London, Ottawa, and Montreal? I believe it does, yes. <laughs> so uh, the plan currently is for me to spend a week, a month in Montreal. And, uh, and then with additional trips likely to Ottawa as well. But I, that hasn't been fleshed out right now. Now, from what I understand, this is a new position that hasn't existed in the past. Um, what are some of the ideas that you want to bring to the role? So one of the first things that I need to do, that's a, the job I've laid out for myself, is that um, I need to get educated about the other space science fields. So I come from space astronomy and I have a very good handle on uh, the science goals for the community and also the specific missions that are that people are thinking about and excited about. And I need to get up to the level that level of expertise for the other um, the other fields like planetary science and space physics and that sort of thing. So that's my personal goal. And when I was visiting the space agency last week, um, I had people coming up to me and they are excited to tell me about what's going on and what projects they're involved in. So I think that that's going to happen very quickly. And that's certainly something I need to do first. I also think that there are likely to be opportunities for more um, interaction between space science fields. There's a lot of overlap in the industrial partners that, um, that university scientists are working with, um, with you know, technical necessities, um, data analysis techniques, that sort of thing. And I think there's a real opportunity to have more synergies between space science fields. Now, uh, I think this is my last question on this particular topic, but it's, it's, the Canadian Space Agency is a, you know, I, I don't remember how many people actually work there at this time. It's over 600, I know that. Uh, and there's a lot of scientists there. Uh, and there's a lot of scientists that provide advice to uh, the president, Sylvain Laporte. So the question is, 
Why do we need a science advisor outside of the Canadian Space Agency to work with the president? So I think the role of a scientist um, in government and a scientist who's working in a university is really different. And their experience of doing science is quite different as well in terms of how they interact with the government, the process of applying for grants. Um, government scientists can't apply for uh, for grants from NSERC, for example. And that's an experience that every university scientist will have had. Um, I also think that it's important that you have, um, you have advice from outside of the government about how an enterprise like science, which involves the government and industry and universities, um, about how it should be, how it should function. I think there's a real role for just having a different set of um, expectations and experiences. Um, I mean, I work with students all the time. I'm directly involved in training um, the next generation of scientists. And that's something that uh, someone in the government may not have a similar sort of experience. So I think there's a real you know, difference in perspective that's incredibly valuable. So um, last week, Space Cube broke the news that a new coalition had been created of organizations from across Canada to raise awareness of Canada's space program with an aim uh, to pressure the government to, into releasing the promised space strategy and to have it funded. Do you have any initial thoughts on the coalition and what they are trying to accomplish? So I think that all of this energy that's coming together from, uh, from industry, the aerospace industry, as well as from university researchers, I think it's tremendous. I think Canada has a lot of uh, we have a lot to be really proud of in terms of our space legacy, and I think we should share that with the Canadian people and make them aware of it. So that effort, I think, is um, is, is laudable, and I think uh, I think it's great. As I said, to see this energy, um, I saw there you had a recent um, the article that came out today where you were talking about the polling that had been done, and I I just think it's it's great that the that the industry is really taking an active um, an active role in promoting. Um, the space enterprise to the Canadian public, both from the uh, educational point of view as well as from the, you know, the economic benefits of, of investing in space. So I think that's fantastic. Um, and if the, in terms of, um, I mean, the space agency can't lobby the government. So I think there is a responsibility for other stakeholders in this to, you know, to make sure that their voices are heard. Now, this is a really... Um difficult uh, question to answer. Um, but the Ipsos poll, which was released yesterday and which was commissioned by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition, um, it came out with a, a bunch of findings. And, you know, one of those findings, of course, is that Canadians are proud of the work that we've done by our astronauts, the works that we've done in robotics with the Canadarm. Um, but when it actually comes to the space program, they don't seem to know a lot and there are a lot of programs and there's a lot of attempts at trying to reach Canadians to get them to understand how important space is and how much it affects their lives on a daily basis. You know, can you, if you can answer this, what, what can be done to, to, to really get uh, Canadians' attention so that they understand uh, the benefits of space to their everyday lives? So I think what you need to do is that you need to engage them on all levels and that everybody who is involved 
in the space activities uh, is responsible for doing that as well. I don't, I think, uh, so for example, we have an incredibly active um, outreach program here at Western University. We have a Center for Planetary and Space Exploration that has, we have a, you know, an outreach coordinator. We run a space camp. Um, we have regular outreach events every Saturday during the summer where we open up the skies and volunteers, um, you know, show the skies to visitors and we tell them about the exciting science that's going on. So uh, there are a lot of places around the country where those sorts of outreach events are happening. And I think they do have an impact. They absolutely have an impact. Um, and I can tell you that I have never met a third grader who did not think that it was worth learning about black holes and ha didn't have a million questions about them. So that natural curiosity of, of, of kids um, is absolutely something that should be harnessed and tapped and encouraged because it will encourage them to, uh, to go into science and into the STEM field. And that is happening around the country. And I think uh, in particular for my field, for, um, for, planetary, for astronomy and planetary science, we take that responsibility really seriously, that it is our job to share what we're learning about the world um, and about the universe and, and expanding it. And, um, and, the, and the same thing with, I think it's the responsibility also of aerospace companies that are participating, particularly in science missions, to, to share what they're doing um, and how it's then happening with, you know, how that's propagating within their companies and allowing them to develop new technology and train exciting people and attract the best engineers in the world because they really would love to work on space missions because it's, you know, it's an exciting field. Um, and then, and the space agency as well has a responsibility to share, um, you know, the fantastic things that our astronauts are doing um, and the space missions that they're participating in. So I don't think it's any single entity's responsibility. I think it's all of ours. And, and there are so many ways that um, the space enterprise does give back in terms of the, uh, the inspiration for future generations and the um, amazing scientific discoveries we're making, as well as the technology development that happens because we're, we want to push the boundaries of what we're able to know. And I think it's all of our responsibilities to share that and do a much better job communicating that to Canadians. Now, your biography on the Canadian Space Agency uh, website included mention that you were the co-author of a paper called A Vision for Canadian Space Exploration, which was submitted to the Space Advisory Board during its consultations. Uh, in it, you used France and the U.S. examples of countries that spend a lot more on space exploration as a percentage of GDP. How small is Canada's investment in space exploration uh, at this time, and, 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 and why is it so small? So the, in terms of, if you look at the sort of ranking in terms of GDP, I, I don't know what the exact number is right now. I think it's around 15th, something like that. Um, and I mean, the, the reason it's small is because there's not a lot of money that's going, um, I mean, that's the amount of money that's going to the space agency. I mean, those, are those aren't decisions the space agency is making. They're happening at a higher level. Um, so, uh, and, and I think part of it is that uh, we, as people who are participating in space, need to do a better job of, of making the case for why a bigger investment is, is valuable and worthy. 
So that leads into my next question, which was, uh, you advocated for an additional investment of approximately a billion dollars over 10 years, and that Canada should have a, a regular uh, flagship mission. Um, now, considering you know the Canadian Space Agency bu- uh, budget is getting smaller, um, do you think uh, you know with this coalition campaign and with the momentum that seems to be building within the community that you, that uh, everyone will be able to convince the go- the government that it's actually worth the investment? Well, um, I mean, I can't say that that this community of people advocating for space um, will be able to, but I think we have a really compelling argument for for why this is worthwhile um, for all the reasons that I mentioned before, um, for the the exploration aspect to it, as well as the uh, the economic benefits of this type of an investment. Um, and we, uh, I mean, we have a beautiful we have a beautiful track record. I mean, Canada is a major partner in the James Webb Space Telescope. We contributed two instruments to that facility. And, um, and we are, other countries want to be, want to partner with us um, because of the excellence of our aerospace industry and the excellence of our scientists. So um, I think that I, as a scientist, am incredibly ambitious. I, I want us, our community, to uh, to be a player in these in these international enterprises and to be partners. So, um, so I I mean I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I want to participate in the in the next generation of big missions. So I'm I'm on some science working groups for for um, concept studies and science maturation studies, and I you know I want those missions to fly. That's why I'm putting my blood, sweat, and tears into them right now. And, and of course, now with your new position, you'll be liaising with uh, all the other science advisors in the other departments and with the chief science advisor, and, and uh, we'll see what the government uh, uh, listens to. Now, yesterday, we had a pretty incredible announcement. Uh, SpaceX announced that Japanese billionaire uh, Yusaku uh, Mizawa had purchased all the seats on a rocket that doesn't exist yet, uh, the SpaceX uh, Big Falcon rocket, which is under development, uh, for a trip around the moon in 2023, which Mazawa is calling Dear Moon, in which he'll take six to eight artists, and he'll pay for them to go with him, uh, on this mission. What are your thoughts on learning of this unique and what could be a historical mission should it take place? Well... I mean, kudos to him to being ambitious and optimistic um, about about something uh, that you know is years in in the future. And I think it's wonderful that he wants to bring artists. I feel like the whole community should um, should participate in the excitement of of what the space enterprise is about um, and distinguishing, you know, just saying it's a practice or or an uh, an interest for people who consider themselves scientists. Um, I think is really limiting to what it means. Um, and so, it, I mean, it's quite extraordinary. Um, and I mean, it'll be exciting to see if, if having this sort of an investment can make this happen in, in the sort of timescales they're talking about. It's quite interesting in that the money he's paying for the mission, which I don't, they won't reveal the the figure, but, you know, you can possibly guess that, you know, 150, 200 million, 200 million at minimum, um, is actually going to be used to invest in the development of the rocket itself. So they're sort of uh, helping each other that way. So um, are you an artist as well? 
Um, I'm not an artist, but I am certainly an, an, an appreciator of art, and I have great respect for people who, uh, who are creative and, and make their living in a creative way. I, I've been to uh, conferences where sometimes there'll be a, an artist who listens to the talks and then creates an art based on, um, based on the science that's been presented um, and presents it in different ways, and I think that's a, a wonderful way to show how uh, different types of creativity are really linked. Um, I'm a scientist. I consider myself a creative person. I have to figure out how to solve novel problems um, and how to communicate them also to other people. And uh, so I, I consider that a form of creativity. And if I could draw, I would do that as well. And I'm really glad that other people can and, and, uh, and communicate the things that they care about in, with other media. And... Uh... Given the opportunity, and after the rocket has been proven, would you go on a mission like that? <laughs> um, I would go on a short mission. I wouldn't go on a really long mission. Well, the moon—the so, uh, certain- moon's a short mission. Yes, that's a relatively short one. So, but I, I wouldn't want to go to Mars. Um, so, if I had an opportunity, I think it'd be an adventure that would be really hard to turn down. Yeah, I think the mission itself is is uh, no more than a week and a half or so from the time they leave to the time that they get back. So that's uh, quite short. Okay, so I have one last question, and it has nothing to do with our topics today, but it's one I try to ask all my guests. Uh, and it is, uh, what books are you reading, if you have time, uh, or have recently read that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, so one book that I've read uh, within the past couple of years that really stuck with me because I thought it was really, uh, really interesting was a book called Red Plenty. And it was a book that um, was about science um, in the Soviet, Soviet era and uh, how basically science was practiced um, in that community. It's a, um, it's a fiction book. But it had some of the most beautiful descriptions of, uh, of a computer and uh, an electrons, and then also a really interesting, um, a really interesting description of cells turning cancerous. Hmm. And uh, I just thought it was so evocative and such a beautiful way to talk about um, things that are very technical and, uh, and especially the description of the computers, uh, the electrons in a computer, you know, very physics-y as well. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed that book a lot. Do you remember who the author was? I do not, but uh, I can. No, that's okay. So, uh, for our uh, listeners out there, we will I- include, uh, the link in our, uh, when we post this on Thursday, um, so that you can check out the book and might be something, uh, that you might want to read. So I, I want to thank Sarah for being a guest on the show, uh, Best of luck in, in your new position at, as a science advisor to the president of the Canadian Space Agency. I, I hope we can get you on the show again in the future. Thanks so much, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us 
at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.